Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Matt Allen. I'm one of the elders here at the church, and I'm thankful uh, to have the opportunity to be up here and, and opening God's Word with you this week. I'm thankful for Pastor Matt for allowing me this opportunity to uh, share the pulpit, and so I appreciate that. Uh, as we begin, I want to remind us that we're in a series called Brokenness, and ultimately this series is about us learning to thrive in a world in which we live that is ravished by sin and affects everything around us. And so last week, uh, Pastor Matt opened up God's Word for us from Genesis 3 and the fall of mankind and talked about the brokenness that we face. Uh, if you have an opportunity to go back and listen, if you have not heard, I'd encourage you to do so. But it's, be warned, it's kind of depressing. Right? <laughs> but thankfully, it does not end there. Amen? We have hope. And so starting this week and then next week, we're going to be looking at each of the four areas that Pastor Matt addressed. And, and we're going to look at solutions for how we can thrive in the midst of that brokenness. Now let's review the four broken relationships from last week that Pastor Matt mentioned. So as a result of sin and the fall, the consequences are that our relationship between us and God is broken. Our relationship between us and ourselves is broken. Our relationship between us and others is broken. And even the creation, even our relationship with nature is broken. And there are solutions. So today we're going to begin talking about solutions. Before we do that, I want to share a little story with you. About five and a half years ago, some of you know this, some of you do not. About five and a half years ago, I had uh, an accident that was of my own making. Uh, poor decision on my part. So I was working at a Christian camp, and we were swimming in the lake. And uh, what we did, it was junior high, right? So they're little kids, right? We got some junior high guys here, right? Not that big of stature, not very hefty. And so uh, what we would do as counselors, as leaders, is we would lock wrists and we would toss these kids in the air at the lake. And it was tons of fun. I and mean, we could get, you know, these 85-pound junior hires pretty high in the air, right? And so they could go high, splash in the water, really good time. Uh, me, being the 190-pound fellow that I was, decided to be a, a good idea for me to try this. And so I was like, all right, guys, I'm going to get in line. So I get up there, and I get on top of the, the arms of these two. They were pretty big guys. I thought, okay, they're pretty strong. This is going to work out all right. And so I decided that me, being the show-off that I typically am, uh, that I was going to do a backflip. Smart, right? And so they tossed me in the air, and so sure enough, I'm like, all right, backflip time, and uh, did not complete the landing, as it were. And so I actually struck the bottom of the lake with the top of my head like this. And so I come out of the water, and I'm like, oh, guys, I'm hurt bad. <laughs> and so I walk to the beach. I lie down on the beach, and everyone's kind of, you know, all the leaders are up, like, are you okay, are you okay? Like, yeah, you know, my neck kind of hurts, but we're, we're doing all right. And so do you think you can get up and walk it off? And I was like, yeah, probably. Like, I probably could get up and walk it off. I was like, somebody help me up. And so as someone was getting ready to help me up, our camp nurse came over and was like, no, no, no. I'm already calling the ambulance. Leave him there. Uh, her husband uh, was a member of our church, and he was a quadriplegic who had experienced a fall and had severed his spinal cord. And so I was like, okay, I mean, I didn't think it was that bad. I was going to get up and try and walk it off, right? I mean, hey, you know, youth, right? Um, and so they take me to the hospital. I'll never forget, because I was, I was all by myself. I remember the doctor coming in, and he, had, he grabbed my hand. I was like, oh, this is weird. This must be bad news. And he said, okay, you have uh, six fractures in your neck. And the joint between C6 and C7, you dislocated it. It's popped out. Huh. I'm thinking, okay, all right. Not great, but we're alive, I guess. Um, 
And so what ended up happening was I ended up having surgery. Now, obviously, in that moment, they took me to the closest hospital, and that's where I had surgery. They weren't going to transport me to somewhere better. And so what ended up happening was, through the course of time, about a year after my surgery, a year and a half or so, I began to, be, to, to get neck pain again. I was like, oh, man, my neck's really bothering me. And so I went back to the doctor, and sure enough, the joint that was supposed to grow together wasn't growing together. And so basically I had in my neck, joint on joint, and every time I moved my neck, the two joints would um, rub up against each other. Unpleasant, to say the least. And so I went back and had to have another surgery, but this time I, I chose the doctor I had it done here at Hershey, someone who is extremely excellent at this type of surgery. And thankfully, I've been uh, fully healed since that second surgery. Now, the reason why I tell you this story is because a lot of times when you and I face brokenness, we want to go someplace that's second best. We want to find a, a fix, often on our own, for ourselves And that fix might be temporary, and it might feel good initially, but ultimately it does not completely heal that brokenness. And so in order for us to live in this world of brokenness, we need to go to the place where we can find true, real, complete, eternal healing from that brokenness. Does that make sense? And so this morning, that is going to be our focus. We are going to focus on how to thrive in brokenness with the right solution. Before we look at the right solution for the two we're going to look at today, we're also going to look at uh, an unbiblical response, Uh, a, a response that might provide temporary healing, but it won't provide eternal thriving. So the two we're going to look at today is uh, the, the two broken relationships we're going to address are between man and God and man and others. And then next week, Pastor Matt's is going to finish this series by talking about man and self and man and nature. So first we're talking about man and God, man and God. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we know that there are people in this room who are broken and hurting. Father, we know that we all experience difficulty in this life because of sin. Father, I pray today that as we examine the brokenness that we have in our world, the reality of it, I pray that we will be able to recognize the proper and improper solutions to that brokenness. Father, I pray that as we examine your word, that we would be encouraged that if we are placing our hope in something other than what's going to ultimately satisfy and heal, I pray that we could shift that focus. Father, I pray that you would encourage us to respond correctly to you and to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 3. I want to show you something. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to begin looking at the brokenness between man and God. And we'll go back to where Pastor Matt first uh, addressed that last week in Genesis chapter 3. And so Genesis chapter 3 records the fall of mankind. And while it is a, a lesson in brokenness, everything that Adam and Eve lost... Ultimately, there is a message of hope for us in our relationship with God. He begins handing out punishments, God does, and in verse 15, he is addressing the serpent who we know is the devil, the adversary, the enemy. And to the devil, he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head And you will strike his heel. The moment the fall takes place, God already knows he has a plan on how to heal the brokenness that Adam and Eve now have with him. From that very moment, he knows, before that moment, you would argue, he knows that he is going to send someone who is going to be born of a woman who is going to crush 
the head of Satan. Now, this isn't going to be without cost. Satan's going to bruise his heel. But ultimately, God has a plan to heal the brokenness that exists between us and him. And he told that to Adam and Eve. They were right there. And so what unfolds for the rest of the scriptures is this story of how God mends the brokenness that exists between mankind and himself. Now, as we think about our response to this brokenness, there are really two unbiblical responses that you and I can have to try to fix our relationship with God ourselves. The first one the first unbiblical response to how we can heal this brokenness between us and God that we feel is self-worship. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, please. Romans chapter 1. We're going to be flipping to a lot of passages of Scripture today, uh, most of which will be up on the screen. But in Romans chapter 1, we see highlighted for us the first way that we can respond incorrectly to the brokenness that we experience with God. And this first way is self-worship. When people are broken, they recognize that there is something missing. They feel empty or incomplete. Often the first place they turn is to just say, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm going to worship the God of self. Let's read about it. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desire of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Paul lays out very clearly that all people recognize that there is a God that exists and that that relationship is somehow broken. All people know this. All people, all countries, all ages recognize that there is a brokenness, that there's a God who exists and there's a brokenness. The way that people typically respond to that brokenness is what he lays out here. They worship and serve created things rather than the creator. And so this first unbiblical response to brokenness takes on many forms. We might call it hedonism, the worship of pleasure. Life is all about where people turn to find the satisfaction that they're seeking is pleasure. Uh, Atheism is another thing. He talks about that a lot in this passage, that they know that God exists, but they exchange that truth for a lie. They suppress it. And so we have atheism. The idea of pagan worship, which is extremely common throughout our world today, of worshiping nature, the sun, the moon, rivers, etc. That's where people turn. And ultimately, all of those things are focused on yourself. 
It is, I'm going to live my life my way. Now, can that bring temporary satisfaction? Yeah. But eventually, people realize that that temporary pleasure just dulls the brokenness they feel for a little while. Just for a little while. And then that feeling of brokenness returns. That feeling of emptiness returns. That longing within them for satisfaction returns. By the way, I want to I pause here for a second. As we think about these two unbiblical responses to the brokenness, this applies definitely for unbelievers. This also definitely applies to believers. So don't think that, well, I've placed my faith in Jesus and I have a relationship with him, therefore I never struggle with self-worship. Obviously, there are times in our lives where we all turn to what we want. We all turn to what we think is going to make us happy or satisfied. And so this is the first danger. This is the first response that you and I must avoid if we are going to thrive in the midst of our brokenness. Recognizing that it is only through God that we can thrive. It is only through God that we can find healing. And so the first unbiblical response is self-worship. Second unbiblical response, self-promotion. Self-promotion. Turn just a page or two over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 9 through 20. 9 through 20. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? He's talking about the Jews. And we'll touch on that in just a minute and explain exactly what Paul is saying. Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced. And the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So the second unbiblical response is this idea of self-promotion. It is, I am going to earn God's favor. I am going to fix the brokenness that exists between God and myself by working really hard to do good things. And that somehow I can earn, I can achieve, I can fix the brokenness myself. Now in Paul's day, as he's writing this, he writes first to the Gentiles, right? They're the worldly people. They follow the worldly way. The Jews, who he now is talking about in this passage, they follow the religious way. And this is where all world religions come into focus, right? You think about any world religion, it is a desire for man to fix the brokenness that they experience with God. And the way they do that is to be a good person. Is to do more good than bad so that the balance of their scales in their life, the good outweighs the bad. And that somehow they will then measure up and God will reward them for working hard for doing good things. That's the religious way. Again, this applies to unbelievers, but also to us. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, you know, God, 
I, I, I'm trying to be faithful to you. I, I, I go to church. I do all these things, yet I still have this feeling of brokenness. There are times in my life where I try to do the right thing, thinking, okay, if I just do the right thing, somehow God's going to give me everything I want then. I think Job is a great example. I'm so thankful to BJ for mentioning Job. Job is one righteous dude, right? He is doing everything for God, and God's blessing him. But then God allows Satan to take everything away. And the whole story of Job is recognizing, did God change at all? There's no. God did not change. You give and take away. That first song we sung this morning, Job says that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And so maybe you're like me in periods of my life where I think, okay, you know, I, I'm in ministry. Uh, I'm doing the best I can. I, I want to be I, you know, faithful and active in church. I'm, I'm discipling kids. I'm doing all of these things. So then why aren't I being blessed? Why don't I have X, Y, and Z? And really, that's that's an incorrect response. That if I somehow live a certain way, that God's going to do whatever I want him to do for me. Self-promotion. Self-promotion. And so unbelievers and believers alike fall victim to this notion that somehow I get to earn God's blessing. I get to earn God's favor. I can fix this broken relationship on my own. And so then this leads right into the biblical response. The biblical response. We're right here. Stay right here. Romans 3, 21 to 26. By the way, this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. My students know this. Right, guys? Oh, I, love, I love me some Romans 3, 21 to 26. It's so good. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus." God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Ultimately, if you and I are going to thrive, if we are going to fix the brokenness that exists between us and God, it requires us to recognize that we can't fix it. We can't fix it. But going all the way back to Genesis 3.15, the moment the fall happens, God says, you know what? I am going to make a way. I am going to fix the relationship between man and myself. God says, everything that Adam lost, I'm going to reclaim and then some. And so now he has sent his son to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise from the dead so that when you and I come to faith in Christ, that relationship is healed. Can I challenge you not to forget that? If you have not experienced faith in Christ, can I encourage you, today's the day to do that. This is urgent. That if you are broken and recognize, you know what, I have no relationship with God, 
I've tried all these other things. I've gone to different churches, different religions. I've lived a life of pleasure trying to just find some kind of satisfaction. I end, end up totally empty. Today is the day for you. And place your faith in Jesus because God wants to heal that brokenness. He's the great surgeon. Now for us as believers, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, can I challenge you that it's still all about what God has done for you. That you and I go throughout our lives every day in the power of the gospel that saved us. That there are so many options for us to continue to chase after unbiblical ways of, of feeling fulfilled. Whether it's chasing after sinful desires, whether it's, man, I'm doing all the right things so that God will be forced to bless me. Whatever false mentality, whatever false action you are taking to feel this sense of satisfaction, of peace, of healing, can I challenge you that those things aren't going to work? The only way for us to thrive in the brokenness that has existed between God and man since the fall is that we stay grounded in our faith in Jesus Christ. Turn one page over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. The result. If you and I respond... In faith, if we live by faith, I want to show you what the blessing of that is. Paul explains it to us in Romans 5, 1 through 11. Listen to this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation." This, this right here is thriving in brokenness. Right here, this is thriving. Did you catch all of the benefits? We have peace with God, verse 1. We have access to God's grace, verse 2. We have joy in tribulation, verses 3 through 5. We've received the Holy Spirit, verse 5. We're delivered from future condemnation, verses 9 and 10. Verse 11, we have reconciliation. This is thriving. When we come to Christ in faith, look at all of the benefits. Look at all of the things that God does for us. Peace, grace, joy. I love this idea of verse 11, reconciliation. Reconciliation, this is the end of the estrangement between God and man that Adam's sin caused. That's what reconciliation is. 
We go from enemies and strangers to children. We go from slaves to sons, Paul talks about in Galatians. We've been reconciled to God, the creator of the universe, who we hated in the core of our being, sent his own son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could become his children. There is nothing broken about that. So as you're here today, as you're thinking about your relationship with God, let me challenge you that there are so many other things you can chase, but ultimately for you and I to feel healing, to thrive in the brokenness, to receive the benefits of what God has to offer for us. It requires us to believe in what Christ has done. And daily, as I live the Christian life, as I live by faith in God, I get to experience all of these things. Is there tribulation? Yes, there's tribulation. Is it hard? Yes. Are there difficulties? Yes. But in the midst of those, I have peace. I have joy. I've experienced reconciliation. The next area we're going to look at flows right out of really all the rest of the three that we are going to look at, these broken relationships, they all flow out of this one, right? You can't really thrive in any of the other three, whether it's with yourself, with others, or with nature, apart from being reconciled to God. This is the launching point through which we then can live and heal in our brokenness in all other areas. It starts with us and God. It starts with faith in Christ. That is the foundation for everything else. But let's look at uh, our relationship between others, our relationship to, between us and others. So two unbiblical responses. Unbiblical response number one is we interact within our broken relationships with each other. Our first unbiblical response is Unforgiveness. Turn to Matthew 18, please. Matthew 18. Unforgiveness. Unfortunately, this parable that Jesus shares in Matthew 18 describes many of us and how we interact with people, myself included. Don't worry, I'm not pointing the finger at all of you. Pointing it at myself. Matthew 18. 21 to 35. Starts with hotshot Peter. God bless Peter, right? Peter's a hotshot, man. He's like, I got this all figured out. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? You know, Peter's like, seven. John was thinking two, James three, but Peter... Myself, I'm thinking seven. That's pretty good, right? He's going all out trying to wow the Lord here. (laughs) Verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debts. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. 
Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. The first unbiblical response to the brokenness between us and others is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Now, this might, this, uh, the idea of unforgiveness takes on many forms. Anger, resentment, bitterness, severed relationships, etc. But ultimately, what you and I must understand, and we'll look at this with the proper response to others and how to heal that brokenness, is that ultimately we need to show grace to each other because we've been shown grace. Think about this unmerciful servant. Right, he owes this great debt. He could not possibly pay it, and the master cancels the debt. Immediately, he runs into a guy who, who owes him a fraction of what he owed, what he had just been forgiven, and he is unwilling to cancel this man's debt. You and I, if we place our faith in Jesus, have been forgiven a great debt. And so Jesus' words to us are, we need to forgive others. We need to forgive others. By the way, this is a pretty common thing. The scriptures talk about this idea a lot. This happens a lot in the Bible. Right? We talk, uh, Jesus talks elsewhere about you know, the, the moat in your brother's eye, but the giant beam in your own. Uh, I was reminded as I was reading this passage the story of David with Bathsheba, right? Do you remember this story? So Bathsheba uh, is out bathing, and David sees her, calls for her. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. He tries to make it so that her husband comes, but he does the right thing, Uriah. Good old Uriah, man. He's the soldier I want to go into battle with, right? Um, he does the right thing. He's like, I can't enjoy the comforts of home while the, my, my brothers are out there fighting. And... So it doesn't work, so then eventually David has him killed. And so David's like, okay, I think I got away with this. And the prophet Nathan comes to him and tells him a story. He says, hey, David, there is a, a man who owns a lot and a man who has one sheep, a sheep. And the rich man took the poor man's sheep for himself. The only thing this poor man had. What's David's response? outrage. He's like, bring me this rich man. He is a dead man. He's going to pay for his sins. And Nathan looks at David and says, you are that man. David breaks down. He's like, whoa, you're right. And then he writes Psalm 51, right? He says, take not your spirit from me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So often we're like David. We have been forgiven such a great debt that we could not have paid ourselves. Yet when someone does something against us that we don't like, we are so quick to say, eh, I'm going to be bitter against you. That's, that's ridiculous. I can't believe you would do that to me. And we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts. Which is worse, right? My sin before God or someone saying a mean thing to me that I didn't appreciate. Which is worse. But so often that's how we try to... It's such a false, backwards way of thinking, but that's how we try to deal with brokenness. When we do it ourselves, we say, well, I feel better. I, I just want to be mad about it. I want to be angry. I want to be bitter. I want to be resentful. It makes me feel better about it. And we try to convince ourselves of that. That's not true. We might feel better about it temporarily, but ultimately, unless we show forgiveness, we will never find healing. 
between ourselves and others. And so God has canceled a great debt for us. We need to cancel the debts of others. It's in the Lord's Prayer too, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness. So unbiblical response number one, unforgiveness. Unbiblical response number two, isolation. Turn to Ecclesiastes 4. Ecclesiastes 4. Again, there are a number of scriptures that we could go to here, but a common response is, and this idea of broken relationships, well, I'm just going to not have relationships with people. Then I don't have to deal with them. I don't have to worry about the brokenness that exists. No one can hurt me if I simply close myself off. Now, this, this can be a physical isolation. People can do that. But a lot of times, for a lot of us, this isolation takes on different forms than physical. A lot of times, it's an emotional isolation, right? It's a, well, I'm not going to let anybody into my inner workings because if they don't know my failures, if they don't know my struggles, if they don't know my hurts, they can't hurt me. And so a lot of times, and... and Men, I mean, I think we struggle with this more than women do. I struggle with it a lot. It's not very cool to share my feelings, right? But the reality is a lot of times we are guilty of this response. We are unwilling to admit our struggles, our fears, our faults to others because we're afraid that then they're going to use that to hurt us. Now, can they use that to hurt us? Of course they can. But ultimately, God cautions us and says, you cannot be someone who isolates yourself from other people. Does not work. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4, we'll read verses 8 through 12. Here's what it says. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asks, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What does God say about Adam in the garden, right? He says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. You and I, whether we think we don't or not, we need each other. I'm sure we can all think of times in our lives where we have needed someone close with us to listen, to help us through difficult times, to help us through the brokenness. No matter how hurt you have been. So when I was uh, about four years old, my parents got divorced. That was a hard thing, man. And so I prayed about it, and I said, God, you know, can you... Please, just make my dad and mom love each other again. That left a big scar for me. That started me on a path of emotional isolation. Because the two people who were supposed to love me the most, in my mind, hurt me the most. And I'll be honest with you, I'm, 30, I'm 31, right? <laughs> Sometimes I forget. I'm 31 years old, and I am still not fully healed from that. I'm not. I still have not fully recovered. There is still pain, and I still struggle to open up to other people. I still struggle with with bearing. You you might think, yeah, right, because I'm bearing my soul right now, but this is easy. Being one-on-one and really digging in, that's hard. And so you cannot allow yourself to isolate yourself from other people. As much as you want, as much as they have hurt you. It is so important to show grace and reconciliation with other people. And so I I challenge you as we 
look at the biblical response of grace and reconciliation, that you would be willing, that you would have the courage to open yourself up to others, to experience the love that only a brother or sister in Christ can show you. Jesus says about his disciples, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The way that we treat each other in this room goes the longest way to witnessing to lost people about the love that God has for them. Now, are we going to hurt each other sometimes? Yes, we are. Can we allow that to affect the bond, the unity that we have in Christ? We cannot. We must show forgiveness. We must let people in. Now, let's look at the right response. One more passage and we're done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5 and we're done. So what's the right response? The right response is grace and reconciliation. Sorry, I'm turning one-handed, so it's taking me a little while. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 14 to 21. Here's what it says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, this idea of reconciliation. God is the author of reconciliation. Christ is the agent. You and I, we are the ambassadors of reconciliation. For us to thrive in brokenness, we must see ourselves as Christ's representatives going not only to a lost world, but also to each other. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. Any strain or division that can crop up in any of our relationships, it is our responsibility to be an ambassador of reconciliation, to extend forgiveness to show grace. Because you and I were new creations in Christ. I think it's so cool to think about the idea of being an ambassador, right? In all the like TV shows, I guess it's in real life, right? Like they can ambassadors can do whatever they want, right? It's like I go to a country, I'm an ambassador, I can break the law. I don't know how it all works, but I know I want to be one, <laughs> The point is, we are God's representatives. We have been given a message from him. We've been given authority from him, and he has sent us into this world to reconcile with people. Lost people, saved people, we are ambassadors in this ministry of reconciliation. So how are you? What are your relationships like? Are you someone who is harboring bitterness and unforgiveness, anger, resentment? Or are you someone who has the courage and the love, the compassion to forgive? Are you someone who 
isolates yourself from the rest of the world because you don't want to let anybody in. You want to keep yourself safe. Or are you someone who can have a great ministry with lost people, with brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are willing to open up and be real and share life with them? And so as we conclude our time, let's refocus one last time and think about the reality that whether it's between us and God or us and others, if we are to thrive in brokenness, it always, always, always goes back to the gospel. It always goes back to the faith that we have in Jesus. If you want to thrive in brokenness, it begins and it ends with your relationship with God. And He has made a way where there was no way. Jesus became sin who knew no sin, that we might become His righteousness. And now you and I represent Christ in the world, in the broken world in which we live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word together. Father, we know that we live in a world of hurt, of brokenness. Father, I know that you have created us to thrive. Father, we thank you for what Jesus has done for us, that he became sin for us, that he was our sacrifice of atonement on that cross, that he conquered sin and death by rising again. Father, I pray that everyone in this room will have experienced salvation by placing their faith in Jesus. I pray for any who have not, who are still living in brokenness. We know that we can chase many things to seek satisfaction, but only you can satisfy. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for anyone who has not experienced that, that they would place their faith in you. Father, I pray that as we exist with other people here at church, in our families, in our work environments, as we rub shoulders with saved and lost people alike, I pray that we would be ambassadors of reconciliation, that we can provide healing in a broken world because you have healed us. Father, we commit the rest of our time together. We thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.